Uh, If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 9. We're going to look at a woman by the name of Tabitha. Uh, That's her uh, Arabic name. In Greek, it's Dorcas. Can you imagine going through third grade with that name? Oh, that'd be terrible. It was hard enough with the last name Dorch. You know, third grade's rough, right? Um, a lot has really happened since Acts chapter 4 last week, and, you know, we're picking up in chapter 9. So there's a few things uh, that's worth noting before we jump in. Well, the church continued to expand. If you remember last week, we said that the disciples, like Peter and John, had been arrested, and then they got released, and then they're heading back, and they met with the rest of the church, and they started praying. And they, in their prayer, they referenced Psalm chapter 2. And in Psalm chapter 2, David said that God laughs because those who are plotting against him are actually doing things that's actually helping accomplish God's purposes. You remember that from from Psalm chapter 2? All right, so here's what's fascinating. From chapter 4 up to even Acts chapter 9, God would continue to laugh simply because of all the things that they're doing to try and put a stop to it and it's actually helping uh, expand the church. Let me give you a quick example. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, You will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, uh, and you shall be witnesses where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, right? That's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. That's a focal, focal verse for the entire book. When we get to Acts, cha- reverse those numbers, Acts chapter 8 verse 1, you know what we see? Because of the persecution that was taking place, Acts chapter 8, 1 is the fulfillment of Acts 1, 8. So you read Acts chapter 8, 1, what happens? They are persecuting the church so much so that they started to scatter. And where do you think they went in Acts chapter 8, verse 1? They went from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, and then beyond. Isn't that fascinating? God has got to be going, you guys think that you're going to stop this thing? And he's laughing because the very things that they're trying to do uh, is actually helping. So the persecution of the Christians caused them to flee Jerusalem and to seek refuge in other areas. So consider this. If you were a Christian at this point in time, and... um, you know that the people who are persecuting won't step foot in Samaria because of their legalism? That's a good place to go, isn't it? <laughs> so naturally, what did they do? A lot of them went to Samaria. Why? Uh, they're not going to follow them there. They're going to avoid Samaria. Now, just as a quick side note, isn't it good to know that laughter is a characteristic of God? I mean, think about that just for a moment. Just a little side note. You know, when you think about Laughter is a characteristic of God. That tells me that there will be laughter in heaven. We're going to enjoy laughter. That, that, you know, just laughter that we've never experienced before. Because it's going to be, uh, um, it's not going to be a perverted laugh. It's not going to be, it's not going to be laughter that has been perverted by the, you know, the things of this world. It's going to be belly laughing, just enjoy the moment and, and our laughter, even our laughter, will be a reflection 
of God and his character. I just think that is fascinating. So anyway, first stop Judea, then Samaria, then they're going all sorts of other places. Then Acts chapter 9, when we get there, it's a breakthrough chapter. The reason I say that is because it's going to lay the foundation for us to begin to see that the gospel is not just for the Jewish people. It's not just for them. We're going to discover that God has had a plan that through the nation of Israel and through the Hebrew people, through the Jewish people, God is bringing salvation to them first and then to the entire world. Acts chapter 9 introduces us, at the very beginning introduces us to a man named Saul. Saul is persecuting Christians and he is traveling to uh, Damascus. Uh, Damascus is, can you imagine, 135 miles north of Jerusalem. It's in a, a place called Syria. And uh, it's, it's quite fascinating, all the things that's taking place. So Christianity has now done what? It's moved beyond Jerusalem. Churches are being planted in other areas. And our focal passage today, we're going to be near the end of chapter 9, but our focal passage today takes place in a city called Joppa, J-O-P-P-A. Now, you've probably seen or heard of this city before. We, in fact, we had a series uh, maybe last year, year before. Uh, no, it was definitely last year. Uh, last year when we were doing John, we, uh, we did an Old Testament uh, book through Jonah. And if you remember, uh, God had given Jonah some instruction that he wanted Jonah to take uh, God's message to Nineveh. Well, where is Nineveh? Well, Nineveh was the capital city for the Assyrians. Can you imagine how hard that would be for someone like Jonah to be told, hey, I want you to go over to the enemy's territory and I want you to take the message of God's grace and goodness to them. No wonder Jonah was so reluctant. He was like, that's our enemy, God. That's the Assyrians. Those are the people that we don't, we don't want anything to do with them. And you're telling me to go into not just our enemy. You're talking Gentiles. You're talking Assyrians. You're talking, you want me to go tell them about your message? They're the enemy of God. So what did Jonah do? He went to a city called Joppa. And in this city of Joppa, it's a port city, it's on the Mediterranean Sea, he gets on, in this, on this boat, and instead of headed, heading toward Nineveh, he goes toward Tarshish, the complete opposite direction, right? Well, it's fascinating, because here we are again in the New Testament, Acts chapter 9, and we're in that same city again. The same city that God, from, from this point, Jonah had a decision to make, right? Am I going to take God's message to the Gentiles and be obedient to him, or am I going to rebel and go the other direction? And here we are again in the New Testament in the exact same city with the exact same opportunity. Are we going to take the message to the Gentiles? And that's where we're at. So in the very next chapter, Chapter 10, Peter's going to see that God's message 
is certainly to be taken to the Gentiles. Now, by the way, Joppa, anybody know what Joppa is today, what it's called? Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv. So, if you're familiar with Israel, familiar with, you know, the, you know, the, the city, Tel Aviv, it's a port city, the old part of Tel Aviv, the oldest part of Tel Aviv is actually Joppa. Uh, so you can actually Google that. You can look at some old pictures and see the actual old ancient city uh, of Joppa. Uh, you can see that, uh, some pictures of that online. So let's turn Acts chapter 9, and let's look, at, begin at verse 36, and we'll read to the end of the chapter. At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. So again, Tabitha is, is, is her uh, Aramaic name, and Dorcas is her Greek name. Both of them mean the same thing. It's the exact same word, just in different languages. Both of them mean uh, gazelle, that she is a beautiful and graceful woman. Uh, so that's what her name means. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Leda was near Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent, them, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room. And all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and garnet, garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed on the Lord. And so it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon, a tanner. Now, there are a few things to, to look at here that I want us to notice about Tabitha before we, before we jump in too deep. Before we do that, let's consider some things that we, that, we, that we don't know. We really don't know how old she was. We don't know how old Tabitha was. We can assume that, well, we know that she ministered to widows, and I think sometimes we immediately make the assumption that what? Because she ministered to widows that she may have been a widow herself. But there's nothing in the passage that suggests that. In fact, the, we might assume that she is young and beautiful and graceful and not necessarily because of her name, not, not because of um, her ministry. You know, lots of us can have ministries to uh, people that we don't necessarily belong to that group. You can have a ministry to widows and not be a widow yourself. So we don't know. We don't know how old she was. Not only do we not know how old she was, we don't know if she was a widow, and we don't know if she was married. We don't know if she was a widow. We, therefore, we don't know if she had children. We don't know if she had any of that. Uh, but while we don't know if she was a mother or not, we do know that she was described as a disciple of Jesus. She was described very specifically as a disciple. In fact, it's the only occurrence where the word disciple is used in its feminine form, in its language. So it's a, she is a woman who is a disciple. 
And it's interesting because that has not been used of any other woman that follows Jesus. And it's be, being very specific to say that she was uh, a, a woman and she is following uh, Jesus. So here's what I did notice, though. I couldn't help but notice the things that she did and the similarities between motherhood and being a disciple. The similarities are really uh, quite fascinating. And it makes me wonder, perhaps God gave us mothers to help us to better understand how to be a disciple. So let's consider Tabitha. And let's consider what she was like as a disciple. And I think we'll see glimpses of what a mom looks like. Uh, key point number one. Key point number one for us this morning is this. A disciple is someone who who sacrificially serves others. A disciple is someone who sacrificially serves others. That sounds like a mom, doesn't it? <laughs> that sounds an awful lot like a mom. Look again at verse 36. At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. I want you to notice those three words at the end, which she did. Why is that important? Those three words are evidence of her character. A disciple of Jesus doesn't just talk about good works. It doesn't just, uh, you don't just talk about, hey, do, do some good things or do charitable deeds. A disciple embraces the sacrifices necessary then to actually serve. Now, as a man, <laughs> I've already mentioned that I can't keep track of an iPad. But as a man, I don't always understand the extent of the sacrifices that our mothers made. And because of, you know, my, my perspective might be very limited, we might get a glimpse from watching the sacrifices of our wives, maybe watching the sacrifice that they make for, for our children. But here's one of the things that I did this week that I thought was kind of fascinating. I read an article, and... The article was called, The Five Beautiful Sacrifices a Mom Makes. Five Beautiful Sacrifices a Mom Makes. Now, again, as a man, I wouldn't, the first one on the list, I wouldn't have even thought of. I would, I, it's like, oh, that was not even on my radar. I would never have even considered that. In fact, maybe the second one I would have thought of. But let me tell you these five, these five beautiful sacrifices that a mom makes. The first one was called her body. Her body. I would have never considered this, but here's, here's some, the idea. Motherhood changes a woman's body. She has reminded this of every time that she looks in the mirror. The article said that the changes are reminders of the beauty of motherhood and the love that we have for our children. Every mom knows how exhausted her arms and legs feel after carrying a toddler. And, you know, and it's not the same for dads. You know, it's just not the same. You know, we, we pick them up and, you know, carry them like a sack of potatoes, and it's no big deal, right? Uh, but moms do it relentlessly over and over and frequently, and it's exhausting on their, on their arms and legs. And I think about that, and I think, you know, the toll that it takes uh, on a woman's body is a sacrifice to motherhood. And I began to think about that. I began to think about how it relates to our fellowship of the Lord and as a disciple. You know what Paul said about disciples? Listen to this. 
I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. You know what? Every mom sacrifices in order to, to be a mom. To be a mom. How incredible is that? And presents her body as a, as a living sacrifice. And it's a, it, what does it do? It points us to being a disciple of Jesus. The article went on real quick. The article went on and said that uh, she sacrifices her sleep. Uh, in fact, studies show that parents experience sleep deprivation for the first six years after a child is born. And I thought, oh my goodness. So if you have two children, guess what? You just extended that. You have three children, you just what? You're, you're sleep deprived. It's just going on and on and on. But six years after the child. Number three on the, on the list was her time. A mother's time is not her own. Mom, come look at this. Mom, mom, come here. Mom, mom, hey mom, I need you. Mom, let's look, look at this. Number four on the list was her favorite foods. I wouldn't have thought of this one. I wouldn't have considered this one. A mother sacrifices her own eating habits for her children. Her food gets cold while she prepares for her children. She seldom gets her coffee warm or hot. It's, you know, by the time she gets around to eating, her food is sitting on the plate cold because she is serving the needs of others. And then the, the fifth one on the list was her future. A mother doesn't have as many personal social events as she once did. Her social events have shifted to chauffeuring uh, to extracurricular activities that are often focused upon her children. And I thought, man, isn't that, isn't that fascinating that God has given us mothers as a beautiful example of what it means to, to be a disciple? So who knew? Mom was showing us all this sacrificial life of a disciple.